Yeah, since I started driving, I had a parking spot. Then uh, my first house uh, that I bought for, like, me and my wife had a parking spot. Okay. So I, I've always had, like, I went from my parents' crib to my crib and just always had the space for it. So it's been convenient. But, yes, I am one of the few. You drove in for this? Are you, are you doing a set tonight? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm doing a, a spot today at the Magnet. Did you just do stand-up, like, basically every night? Yeah, it's been about a year and a half now. I had, like, a super, uh, super serious talk on two different occasions with my wife but uh yeah this one was the uh serious talk of like how serious are you taking this or do you mind yeah. if i'm gone every single night of the week <laughs> uh, uh both i would say about uh what is it now maybe like five like six years ago uh i did stand up seven years ago uh, uh this june i was working a ton of hours at a sales mm-hmm. company was doing really well economically but i was depressed and uh my wife noticed it you know i was in uh i wasn't the same guy when i got home i was real you know uh, i don't know if i curse uh, please yeah i was uh, real shitty with the kids okay uh, not in terms of like uh mistreating them but i wasn't giving them my a-game i was just like i'm home i'm going to sleep don't yeah. bother me and it's just not who i wanted to be as a parent and as a husband she one day just was real blunt and asked me when was the last time you were happy and i was like Honestly, when I took that stand-up class at Gotham that I signed up for on a whim just to get better at public speaking. How long did it take you to come up with that answer? It sounds like it was like right off the top of your head. I, I sat there maybe like 30 seconds. Okay. Like I legit thought. Like yeah. I was like I, – I, 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 I looked back at my memories because I was even thinking of like, like shit, even when we go to like parties and hanging out, yeah. like I just wasn't in it. You know, yeah. for quite some time. And I remember that night, uh, not only the experience being fun, but also afterward, all of my family and friends came out because me and my cousin were both in this class. We both did this show. You know, it was, it was a fun night that I remember being truly like a reminder of potential and of what could be that I hadn't had since high school or college, where as an adult, I still felt like there could be more. Up until that point, I felt like I was uh, at a job that paid well, and this was it. I was starting to resign to the fact that this was my future, and I didn't like that. That day was the last time that I felt like the guy that was 21 or 22 and had a the future yeah. ahead of him. Yeah. So it really jarred me when she asked me. I wasn't prepared for the question. And so when she asked me that, she was like, so why don't you do it again? And I was like, we can't. Like, I, I, you know, this is what I do for a living. She's like, we have the house. Uh, we have tenants. We could pay the mortgage with that. Uh, you and your dad own another property. Why don't you sit down and talk with them and say, hey, listen, we're going to scale some things back and take some time off and tell jokes. So straight up, I just quit my job and I started telling jokes and I sucked for a year doing open mics. Uh, then, uh, after that, uh, to kind of like, alleviate the cushion a friend of mine who worked in sales who knew what i could do in sales but also knew what i was pursuing um was super helpful and gave me a sales job where i wasn't a manager mm-hmm. but was fully accommodating to my schedule he's like so, hey so you, you could ease into so i could ease into yeah. it and i did that for about uh three and a half years and then uh about a year and a half ago i resigned from that as well and this just been this so making that you know the transition from this bright young kid with the future ahead of him to feeling like you were locked down how much of that is Again, just being like totally realistic about how much of it is like having a wife and having a couple kids where you feel like you're not necessarily open to those opportunities in the way that you were before. Yeah, I think it's all that. I think when I, when I find out, when I found out I was having my daughter and, you know, my, my, my girlfriend at the time and I, we, you know, we were already talking marriage and, 
that felt like it sped everything up. You know, like we had a plan in place and this kind of changed it. Because you had known her for a really long time. Yeah, me and uh, me and my girlfriend have known each other since I was uh, 13, 14 mm-hmm. years old. So I felt like, oh, oh shit, like I'm messing up what I promised you and what I promised my kid and he's not even here yet or she's not even here yet. You know, The, the so, promise being what, just having like all your ducks in a row yeah, when the time like, came? I, I want to offer, I wanted to offer stability. I felt like that's not something that I hear uh offered often from where I'm from in East New York. And I felt like despite that, my parents did a great job of offering stability. And I felt that my job was to build on that. And here I was not leveraging the advantages they gave me and putting my kid in a situation where realistically I'm going to be in the same place, you know? So I I felt like this innate pressure to overwork. So, you know, I was doing 60, 70 hours a week at my job. I got promoted very quickly. I got paid very well. You're good at it. I was good at it. And, 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 and I, I appreciate what it offered me. I'm not, I, I, I'd never talk bad about the company or the work. It yeah. was the uh, expectations I put on, put on myself um, were uh, more than normal and were too fast, in my opinion. And that having that changed who I was as a person. I noticed that in conversations, I couldn't talk about anything but sales. I, I, I stopped having a personality. And then uh, what really started highlighting it was, A, I noticed that I was starting to be angrier more often. I started being depressed more often. Um, and B, also in between, myself and my kids uh, I have siblings that are substantially younger than me so like they were in like fifth grade sixth grade and they're starting to get to that point to where you have to start telling them you could be what you want to be if you work hard and here I was not being what I wanted to be and I'm I'm the direct proof I'm like you know I it's kind of like BS when you hear your 50 year old parents say it but like when your 29 year old brother says it and he's not actively believing it it makes it you know it, it doesn't seem real the statement you weren't maybe what you want to be although like to be fair it sounds like you didn't really know what you wanted to be up right. to that point, but you were successful in by some measure. Mm-hmm. 100%. You know, I, I, I was um, happily married. I had two kids. I had a house. I had a stable job, six figures, like all things that are, you know, being frank to most people would check the box as successful, yep. but it wasn't a job that made me happy. It didn't bring me joy. There were moments of success that I was proud of, but it wasn't something that I wanted to do for 40 years. And that alarmed me because I felt like that was the whole pitch. I felt like my parents were immigrants. They took jobs that allowed them to provide me opportunities, but they took the job that they couldn't say no to. I shouldn't have to do that same job, right? That's the whole vision. Either I felt like if uh, your parents sacrificed to come here to provide you something, it's either one of two things. Either you also take a job you yeah. don't like and make way more, which yeah. I was doing, or you take a job that uh, you're passionate about because you can, because they've they've took the risk almost out the way, you know? And I felt like that's what I was giving up. They were providing me a situation where, hey, worst case scenario, you already got a house. You're going to inherit another house. So your life at worst is always going to be middle class. So why are you settling for a job that while it pays well, isn't your dream job? So... I, I felt like I was dishonoring them in a lot of ways. I was dishonoring my siblings by telling them that this is the best we could do. And I was really disgusted when I realized that I was saying this to them and that in 10 years, I was going to have to say it again to my own kids. So it was really jarring. So I've always had this weird deadline of I need to get semi-known by the time my siblings graduate college. And they just started college. So okay. it's ticking. Um, the album's thing- out. So you're, you're getting there. Yeah. I'm on the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, uh, 
that's been my logic. I figured yeah. like by the, I'm older than them, but if by the time they are in their like mid twenties and they're hanging out and like my brother could get laid by okay. saying, Hey, my brother is this guy. That's a high, that's a lot higher of a bar than you think. <laughs> I think like start with like, you know, walking down the street and maybe somebody like not knowing if they saw you on Comedy Central or if you went to high school with them, that's a pretty realistic place to start. Well, I've got that thing for okay, so I've got a few like uh okay. people that have recognized me locally walking yeah. around, Oh, yeah, I saw you on Amazon. Yeah. So okay. that's been cool. But I want <laughs> but you one want to time. get your brother laid. Yes, I need him to get like laid out. He's like, yeah. I was at a bar, I name dropped you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I've even had I even had a cousin of mine that uh drives for Uber. He's yeah. like, Yo, you got me a bigger tip. All right. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. He was like uh he was doing a cross state drive. He was like, Yo, it was like two hours. Damn. He's like, I don't know how to kill yeah. time. So I brought up comedy and then I mentioned that my cousin does it and I and she YouTubed your clip during the drive. So he was like, Yo, I was pr- I was stressed yeah. out for you. He's like, if you weren't funny in her opinion it would have been awkward for another hour (laughs) but he's like she loved you she played like three more of your clips and she gave me a big tip where do you think your your parents' idea of success is you know i hear from a lot of people think immigrant parents that it's like you know success is sort of being more successful than they are in terms of like you know making more money or like getting that more powerful better job but do you think they they were hoping that you were happy that that was kind of their main goal for you like they looked at what you were doing saw that you had a successful job did they understand that transition that you wanted to make initially no i don't i don't believe so i think uh my mom was more sympathetic to it my dad very uh quickly put up a front against it just because i think that uh, when I think about the struggles that they had initially, both um, back home in the Dominican Republic and here, most of them strive from opportunities lost because of economic situations. So I think they tie a lot of their happiness and their success as parents with the economics. And also, uh, I don't think that they lived a reality where job satisfaction was a thing. There For them, it was, this is the highest paying job that I could take that allows me to give my kid this my dad doesn't my it, my dad can't fathom the idea of my job brings me joy it's just i did a ton of different hustles and this is the one that allowed me to pay for the most things that gave you the best life if this job paid me a little more i'd leave for that in turn i could pay for you to go to a private school and you could do something i could never do so you did the complete opposite right you knew that <laughs> you knew that you were going to spend at least a year struggling and like honestly just a year struggling in stand-up is pretty good yeah thankfully yeah, yeah. Um, and, 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 uh, that was the awkwardness of it. It was having that conversation where what I was pursuing wasn't just economic. It was like, I, I feel that there's a level here that you didn't have the opportunity to go after and I need to go after in order to honor you and explaining that to him that like, if I'm working a, a slightly better job that pays slightly more, but I'm still just as angry on Friday as you are, yeah. as you were on Friday, I didn't do better by you. Now I'm not saying that there, there's nothing wrong with that. Sure. If that's that's all I could get to her if I shot my shot and that's what I got, I'd be fine with it. It's the fact that I hadn't attempted. So dad, like hypothetically, what if, what if instead of this six-figure job, what if I found one that paid me nothing <laughs> right. that I could do for a year? <laughs> right. And, and, and he wasn't on board. <laughs> no, and so understandably. I, I get it, you know? Yeah. And, and, and those were the talks we had. So he was like, uh, you know, uh, he was, a lot of the issues were the fact that there was no direct ladder. He's like, you know, like, he's like, there's, I don't know what the next step is. Do you get promoted? You know, he's like, I see you getting more popular. People tell me your, your, your shows are being more attended. I see okay. your cousins talking about it on Facebook, yeah. but you're still broke. You still live on my block, you know? Yeah. So like nothing's changed. Whereas like at your job, you could tell me in 18 months, you'll get promoted or if you uh did what i do he does real estate you know so you'd be like if
if I save up for 24 months, I'll have a new down payment. I could buy another property. The lack of control really concerned him. You know, like so much of comedy, uh, I can do the work. I can control how good I am at my craft. But the direct opportunities are a bit more vague of when they come up. And that was a big issue for him. And it, it was hard to explain to him that I was willing to deal with that in this pursuit. So... It, it's still something that we 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 struggle with whenever we kind of get deep into money talks. It's also something that's come up a lot more recently because uh, my brother is 19 and um, he's uh, really ambitious economically. Mm. And it's awkward because my dad, ideally, um, he's older. He wants to start handing things off to me. But he has to acknowledge that my sibling is also an adult and is also willing and prepared for a lot of these things. And it's, it's a weird dynamic. Good for you, though, that you've got that brother who can kind of take that yeah, off your plate. It, it, it's been nice because you can yeah. kind of, you know, take over things that I didn't want to do. By the same token, it might make some of those conversations awkward. Maybe yeah. he does something inappropriate and now I can't uh, fully check him as an authority figure because uh, he makes more yeah. than me or something, you know, so... Do you feel like that changes the dynamic that much? Just just how much you make? Uh, depending on how much, I think it does. Yeah. I think... Uh, You'll always be his older brother. To an extent, yeah, obviously, like, the factual, yes, yeah. but, like, <laughs> if I make uh 50 grand yeah. and I have a brother making 350 grand, that does affect, I think, the power dynamic in a home. Even um, if you got him laid that one time right. by being a famous comedian. <laughs> you know, and, and, yeah. and, and 50 grand would do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so if, if I if I got to that level, I think that would actually alleviate a lot of it before. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, uh, realistically, there is, uh, I, I'm thankfully making a living from comedy. I'm paying bills, but um, I also know how much I made before. I also know how much my parents make now. Yeah. And I know what my brother can potentially make, my, what my sister could potentially make if they pursue that line of work um and kind of fill in the seat that i didn't want and that does affect i think a lot of the dynamics and conversations in family you know if uh like you know just being frank if someone's in need if someone's uh sick a lot of those questions come get answered directly by money um so while it hasn't come up yet he is uh, a super intelligent great kid but he is also probably the person most prone to challenge me out of the out of like my siblings and my parents it's a concern that not necessarily i have but that my parents have you know like as we slowly kind of like uh pass the baton to yeah. you guys i don't want to put you in a situation where we we trust your moral and your your moral compass and want you to help bring up your siblings and then we have you in a, in a situation where your brother isn't fully there morally or as a grown-up and needs your help but he has a point of pride because of money that he might not want to listen to your advice mm. uh so all that's to say my dad is hoping that uh, my comedy career takes off are these conversations that you're actually having with them or, or is, is how much of this is actually just like hypothetical in your brain, it's a little, uh, it's a little game Game of Thrones. If I'm being honest, <laughs> yeah, yeah. My uh, my, my boy Jeff was telling me that uh, <laughs> it sounds like a, a Hood Successions. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of it is def in my head for sure. Um, I definitely do a lot of game theory stuff. I like yeah. to be ahead of t ahead of pace of what might happen. I try to prepare for any theoretical situation because I I know I'm the oldest sibling. I know that I'm substantially older than my siblings, and I'm also a parent. You know, so um, I feel like I have a responsibility to them to show them that you should pursue your dreams but I also have an economic yeah. responsibility to them I have I have a responsibility to their uh moral upbringing and all of those things kind of weigh on me constantly so uh when I'm doing comedy I pursue it very seriously because you know I want to make sure that I'm good at it but I also want to make sure I'm not wasting my time like if this doesn't work I have to, at some point I have to pull the cord and go back to work just so that I could uh help lead that front because I know it's still there it's something that's definitely 
in my head more but in turn my dad is older he uh he has gotten uh he's had more health issues the last few years and we've had more direct convos probably in the last 12 months about this than yeah. we've ever had um so it is something that's coming up more um and then uh my brother and i don't talk about it as much yet it's uh it's more like undercurrent that first year when it was tough when you were struggling and i assume like you were going to a lot of open mics did you ever get close to to pulling the plug on it did you ever get close to kind of going back to that other successful career um year one no um year one i felt that uh what i made at my prior job was great economically but the stress level working for someone else's dream and someone else's standards was so real and such a it took up so much of my brain like so much of like my thinking and so much of uh my day-to-day energy that that memory like really stuck with me so that whole first year i had no no uh qualms about saying this is what i'm doing fully with my time and I had no thoughts of going back in turn I did treat it like a business like uh I sat down with my wife about a week after uh we had the discussion and before I even talked with my boss and I said okay if I'm gonna do this you know I I, I read all the interviews and I, I I sat down I listened to Mark Norman and uh Roy Wood Jr. and 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 all the and Jerry Seinfeld and mm-hmm. seen their schedule their work ethic so if I'm gonna do this fine every day I'm gonna do five open mics I'm gonna write for four hours I need I need you to know this is what I'm pursuing for these hours a day, every day, yeah. so that I could actually get something worthwhile out of this. Otherwise, it's not worth it. And obviously, my wife was thrilled to hear that because that means, okay, cool, I'm not being crazy and saying you should do this. You don't think maybe somewhere in the back of her mind she was hoping that you would kind of run out of gas at some point? <laughs> I think uh, that's come closer after that. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, when I took uh, the first job afterward and uh, – and she saw the a the significant pay cut, uh, but b that I was now thinking long term about yeah. doing this. I think it hit her like, okay, I, she thought I think I was, I was <laughs> just gonna, gonna snap get out of your it. system or something. Yeah. yeah, no, she saw like, oh wow, like he's really like adamant about like yeah. this is a long game. And uh, I think there were regularly points where uh, she wanted to pull the cord. And thankfully, a few things would happen there. You know, like one, I, I feel she has the right to to feel that way. She didn't sign up for it. Not like she met me as a comic. If she asked you tomorrow, if she was like, all right, well, this is enough of this yeah would you go along with that um tomorrow no okay if uh she asked me tomorrow if we could start having a talk about an end date i would do that i'd be in i'd be open-minded to hearing that convo the end date would have to be something realistic in my opinion i feel like i'm just past the point to where that wouldn't be fair as well like i I have i've achieved enough things where we can start seeing the things that we dreamed about initially when i pursued this as starting to be realistic but i trust her enough as a partner that i'd still Mm. be willing to have that convo you know like I've, I've, like I said, I've known her since I was 14, yeah. been married for 10 years. So if she tells me, hey, listen, I don't see what you see, but if you really feel this way, uh, I'm willing to wait this much longer um, before we have to start thinking about you transitioning back to a normal line of work. So yeah, I, I'd have that talk with her for sure. Truthfully, I'm not sure where I'd land on it, but I'd yeah. be open to hearing it. But if she told me very directly, sure. you need to cut this tomorrow, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that'd be an that'd argument. Be a harder conversation, <laughs> yeah. You mentioned the setting these like specific goals and somewhat humorously alluded to the fact that one of them was getting your brother laid but like more 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 realistic what are the sorts of things that have to happen in the next five years for you to consider yourself a success yeah um i I have a real specific number like i said i I made uh six figures before i want that number again that is the 
exact number I'm pursuing. Okay. I want. So it, it's it's monetary. That's that's the signpost for you. Yeah, and okay. and and the reason for that is because I think that I've checked off enough boxes where artistically I'm 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 happy with what I've done, and I have bigger ambitions artistically. Yep. If nothing else happens from here on in, I could say I did an album, I did a special, I've been on TV five times. I am a relatively mm-hmm. respected comedian in the, in the New York scene, and I'm, I will be building on that going forward. But so like you know like if my grandkids ask me, I could. Yep. Say yeah, I did comedy. You'd be uh, like, so, check out all the podcasts I was on. Yeah, you know, and they'd be like, "What's a podcast, this. Grandpa?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I'd love to explain that. <laughs> yeah, like it'd be so cool to like be able to like reflect on that period with them. Yeah. But the money part is so important because I feel like there is a, a difference between doing art and being compensated for your art, and I don't feel that it's necessarily important to get super rich off your art but i i do think it's important to be able to sustain a living from your art that number might be different if i was in another state but in new york i feel like you know that does matter and i'd be and with that number i'd be able to provide a comfortable living to my family that is of the standard that they've had before and it would allow me to continue not only to do what i'm doing now but there's even things that i'd want to pursue that i can't now that economically would uh it would allow me to artistically as well uh so that's the number that i have in my head how i go about that um i'm open to trying a few different things but yeah it's a balance that's the number that i have in my head that would allow me to say i'm doing this forever going forward if i can get to it is it something that if, like, God forbid, hypothetically, you do end up going back to the old job or, or another job, would you see yourself continuing to, you know, still do the occasional stand-up set from time to time? Or if you weren't able to have that, you know, fi- financial success and you did turn in the other direction, would you just kind of quit cold turkey? No, I, I think uh, at this point I've found something that... You is, obviously really enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I love what I do. I found something that is vital to who I am as a person and how I process information, how I process, how I mm. think about things. You feel uh, like it just it affects your day-to-day yeah, to I, that I, level. Yeah, I, I need to do stand-up. Yeah. Like, it allows me to really go through my thoughts and and it's it's made me a better person um so letting it go to that extent i would never do letting it go with the uh in terms of the intention of doing yeah. this professionally that i could see happening so like the difference would be instead of doing you know 15 20 sets a week it'd probably be like three you know like hey i'm gonna go out because i have something in mind that i need to talk about and i want to see what it's like today you know i want to get it out of my system so today i'll go do two three sets in turn i probably wouldn't do any road work you know like oh you want to come do you know this hundred dollar gig and you know texas sure. now nah, i'm good i would probably the the uh scale would change whereas now anytime there's something comedy related uh not only do i prioritize it my whole family prioritizes it so uh my wife you know instead of me picking her up she'll you know walk home from work uh my in-laws or my parents will take care of my kids everyone has kind of like become part of this system of allowing me to pursue this to this level of seriousness whereas that would switch you know the my family and my job would be priority and i would fit comedy around it um so that would probably be the biggest shift that would happen. Yeah. So yeah, if it comes to that, it comes to that. I I don't expect it to at this point. But yeah, I'm I. That's probably where it would go. I I can't see myself ever again going to the point to where I don't do stand up. It's too significant to how I process information. I, I feel like there is something truly freeing when you talk on stage 
and you have an audience directly telling you if you're nuts or not for yeah. thinking that, you know? Therapy in a way. Yeah, and I wouldn't even go that far. Like, I feel like therapy, I feel like therapy there, because there's someone returning, like giving you actual words. Sure. There is, there is a different aspect to it in the sense that, like, therapy, I think, helps you deal with tougher issues. Stand up helps me deal with day to day issues. I don't know. I, don't, I feel like the scale is different. Like, yeah. uh, I would go to therapy if I have like a level ten problem. Okay. You know? Yeah. Like, okay, this is something I mean, that there are there are people like I, I don't see a therapist, but there are people who like use therapy as like routine maintenance. Hey, yeah, fair you enough. You know, and people who and I think and I think in a lot of cases there's people who like don't have the outlet that you have. Yeah. So go try stand up. Yeah. It's, it's a cheaper <laughs> thing. It'll cost you a five dollar drink ticket, and uh, you know it'll save you some money if your insurance isn't covering that. You know, but yeah, I, I do find it healthy. I feel like it's a way to vocalize your thoughts. Yeah. You're in, you, you're a part of a community. You have other people around you that are uh, usually uh, within your age range. Mm-hmm. Uh, they you know live in your city, so they tend to have similar economic uh, situations that come up with them. Um, so, but at the same time, it's like it's a really diverse group of people. It seems right. like when I you know like stand up comedians in. New York City. Everybody. It's every it's every it's every walk of life, right? It's kind of incredible. That's what's beautiful about yeah. it. There's so many so many different people that attempt it and in my opinion, it is the art form that is most embraced diversity and has done it the quickest and has done it the earliest. Um, so it, it, it's beautiful to see that. But yeah, I, I just think there's something awesome about being able to express yourself in front of other uh usually intelligent and yeah. and open-minded people yeah. and they're willing to hear you out and see if they uh understand your way of thinking getting back to this idea of sacrifice because this is actually something i think you do you do touch on 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 the record a little bit just in terms of some of the sacrifice your family has had to make in order for you to pursue this dream yeah or you know as you just said you know whether your wife's gonna like walk home or take a car from work does that wear on you at all you know like because you know it's it, it's wonderful that you get to pursue something that brings you joy but i mean is there a sense of guilt in having abandon you know other people's creature comforts your family's creature comforts in order to pursue that dream you're gonna break me (laughs) (laughs) just so you know (laughs) i'm gonna go home to shovel honey i'm sorry baby (laughs) this is a being uh truthful it's something that it doesn't wear on me but it is something that i'm aware of so i don't have ass moments um i feel that you know when my wife is like for example uh my wife didn't work the first uh nine and a half years of of our marriage uh she was the caretaker the the, the homemaker and she did awesome at it yeah. for the last six months we switched roles she's gone and provided stability for the home by going back to work did she want to like uh, oftentimes after nine years you want to get the <laughs> fuck out of the house right yeah and she did yeah. and that was a big part of it you know, like uh, the first uh, year or so that I was uh, doing stand up, I, st- I and uh, to this day I still can pay bills between stand up and our and our tenant. Um, but there's definitely a comfort that comes from her working, and so we had a talk. You know, she's like, I, I wanted to. I want to go back to dealing with adults every yeah. day. And also that provides a certain comfort for us that uh, being frank, being an artist eliminated. So her doing that uh, was a big shift for us. I think about the fact that, you know, every day she's at work now and while we could live without her income, I know that it would affect us again. Mm-hmm. And I know she knows that now. So when she's at work and my kids are at school, I can't like, you know, take a nap, you know, I, yeah. I, and, and, you know, piss off the day. I, I, 
I work. So, you know, 10 to 2 when the kids are out and I've dropped her and the kids off, I write mm. those four hours, you know. You can spend that much time every day writing jokes? Yeah, uh, I do about, you know, uh, I do a 90 minutes straight, take 15 minutes to kind of walk around and, you know, just go back and forth, rinse, repeat. What's that process like? You know, what's yeah. it like spending that much time writing, you know, a relatively short set? And I assume like you're... You're doing what, like a half an hour a year or something? Or? Yeah, I try to get to like 30, 40 minutes every yeah. year of uh, straight stand up material. And I try to get uh, two to three stories every year fully developed that are like 10 to 15 minutes of their own, like individual piece. So the writing to material ratio is completely out of whack. Yeah, it, it, it's it's nuts. I can't, uh, I don't know why it works that way, but that's just how it lands. Um, is, it, do you, is it like that way with other stand ups? I mean, I'm sure you've talked about this with them. Yeah, um, I mean, from what Most I've seen, people aren't, they don't treat it like a, a nine to five job the way you do. Yeah. And, and that's what I'm noticing now. Like, uh, you know, I'm like in year seven now, year yeah. six, year seven. So a lot of the comics that I, I've come up with right around now is when they're starting to get to that point to where they're figuring out a system. You they're know, starting to get serious about it after yeah. seven years. Yeah. Cause the first like six, seven years, it's a blend of, uh, it's a hobby. Yeah. Uh, also your, your time is spent on just learning how to be a stand up. Yeah. And then, you, you uh, didn't have those luxuries in a way. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I, I came in later. I, I I had to literally study it. Like, okay, this is what doesn't work. This is what works. I need I needed to fast track a lot of that. That calmness to the approach, I couldn't justify it. So I, I've always been very uh, studious about it, and I've approached it with that rigor because I needed my wife and, uh, to a lesser extent. Um, my dad, who was taking, uh, you know, kind of like a an extra burden with the properties yeah. and real estate stuff, to understand, like I'm treating this with the same level of respect that I treated our businesses. So yeah, like I, I feel that. Uh, it, it it's a process that's necessary, and it's something that you need to treat that way. But yeah, in terms of how it works. I go to either uh, my parents' yard. They live down the block, and they have a much, much nicer mm. uh, yard than I do. Uh, so it's like 80 by 40 all grass, and that is an anomaly in my neighborhood. So yeah, I go in there. New York, that's an anomaly. Yeah, yeah. you yeah. know, so I go there, and uh, I'll, I'll pace back and forth with an idea out loud just so that I can hear what it sounds like, and then I'll sit down and write all the uh, extensions of that idea, and then I'll try it again out loud over and over again, and then I'll look at my lineup uh for the night and i'll plan out my night based on what shows pay that require me to do my a game versus what shows are you know free shows that i could try this stuff out at and rinse repeat i try to focus my writing based on the shows that i have that week so that i could try the material that i'm actively writing then for if i go see you at a free show odds are i'll see something you wrote that day yeah you'll at the very least is something i'm actively working on yeah. the last month but something that that day i tweaked in some way so like like if you see me that week, you might not notice the difference of he did the same jokes the three days in a row if you're a, a yeah. random casual fan. But if you're a, a fellow stand-up or if you're a fan of comedy, you'll notice that I changed wording or pacing. Um, I did editing to it to make it a better joke. So you'll see that I wrote that day, but you'd have to be into stand-up to acknowledge the yeah. differences. I saw you. You were on a show with my friend Ophira at QED in okay. Astoria. God, I don't know how many months ago that would have been, maybe like five or six months ago. Ago. That's the homie. <laughs> yeah. There was definitely some material that ended up on this album. It was very clear that you were like working toward a cohesive set that you could put on record. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's a process. You have to constantly whittle it down and figure out, you know, if you could eliminate words, if you're saying too much, make sure that you're saying it with the right uh, tone and, and with the right uh, pacing so that 
the emotion is conveyed the way you want it to figuring out what kind of audibles you could call in different moments mm. um because the idea for what you want to happen versus what's happening that day might be different for various reasons in terms you know? of audience reaction right exactly yeah. you know um the audience might react differently than you normally uh are accustomed to for you know uh uh the lighting uh size of the room yeah. so i always have like audibles meaning like uh extra punchlines or adjustments that i can make in the moment like that the line of scrimmage uh, yeah, yeah. Like kind of get me back in, yeah. in line with what i had in mind uh so i'm always writing with those things in mind so those little nuances are what i'm constantly trying at shows so like i'll purposely once i have a joke usually i'll start out with like a thought that uh something you know uh gives me an extreme emotion so uh what re- like the joke i'm working on currently uh has to do with the level of freedom that i provide my kids versus what my wife wants um and this conversation started with the fact that i was eight years old when I first walked two blocks alone from my grandparents' house to the library. And I used to do it every day. And my wife's mind was blown away by this. She's like, I didn't go to the store on my own block alone until I was in eighth grade. So... My kids are nine and ten. We they go to school four blocks away. Mm. My wife is no longer the primary taker of the kids to school, so she and I are having real serious talks because her idea was I'm going to walk the kids every day to school, whereas I think they should walk to school alone next year. So we've had real discussions about that. So much so that this year I let them walk alone, but I followed them <laughs> so that I could prove to her, hey, they know direction, and there you know there's a certain level of freedom we need to provide them as yeah. parents, and then also get her side there's a certain level of protection we need to provide um to avoid issues so that's what started the idea a real serious moment that i felt adamant about that i was frustrated that i couldn't uh win the argument with my wife do you need her approval before you discuss these things on stage that no i only need approval whenever it's directly about her uh i i there's like a line that uh I, I wouldn't talk about anything negative about my wife. Um, not that there is much anyway. I, I love the lady. But I mean, you know, I, but, yeah. that's how relationships are. There's always something, right? Yeah, like yeah. there is a line that I yeah. know that I, I wouldn't cross uh, about her. But in terms of like things like that, that's a general family issue. There's nothing there that uh that would give away something about her personally. Uh, it's just a thought about what we think is best for our kids. So something like that, uh, I feel fully comfortable discussing on my end. I'm fully open with almost anything that's come up, but I, I I definitely check with her when I feel like this is close. And she said no about a few topics. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've left those off. I would say it hasn't come up often. I think maybe like three jokes that I've wanted to try that she was like, I'd rather not talk about it. And I respect it. You know, um, I would feel different if, uh, Again, she'd met me as a comic, but she yeah. didn't. So I, I, I want to be a bit more respectful of her boundaries with that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm developing that idea. So like I went from that moment, I expressed it out loud a lot. I expressed what frustrated me about it. And the first time I did it was at QED, ironically. Mm. And it was a 12 minute bit on just that. The yeah. whole set was just that. And now it's like a three minute concise thing that I do that works. So now I want to punch it up. I want to make sure it's perfect. So I'll purposely try it with no energy. You know, I'll do it to see that if just the words work. 
And then that'll give me an idea. Okay, clearly these words work only if I say it with this energy. So can I get this tighter? And then from there, then I'll work on the energy aspects of it. Okay, now uh, I got the most jokes out of it verbally and in terms of the text. Now I can work on the delivery aspect of it. So all those little adjustments to a random person yeah. that sees me, you know, sure. twice might not seem like I changed it. It was like, oh, you just did the same joke. It's not. It's a huge difference. And all of that is in pursuit of the perfect moment where I do it either on like TV or for an album. In describing the, the recording of this this album that you did, is it two two different sets, right? That yeah. into this that one of them was much more East New York than the other one. Yeah. Based on the, what is, well, I mean, other than like the obvious of having like people from East New York there, like how does that change a room? Yeah, it's uh, it, it was a lot more energy. I'll yeah. say that for sure. Uh, it uh, it changes the dynamic just because uh. It's a home game, you know, yep. so like your friends okay. are there. They're rooting um, for you. Yeah, the room is, yeah. is rooting for you quite a bit more to win. In turn, they are rooting so much for you that they interfere uh, <laughs> a lot. Uh, they are definitely more uh, interactive. They're more involved. Um, so you have to change how you deliver things so that you encourage or uh, in turn also uh, tell them when to not in, uh, be quite as involved. Whereas... Uh, a traditional room will kind of know, okay, especially in New York, they're yeah. almost educated. This is a comedy show. I'm going to step back. I'm going to be quiet. Whereas my friends, they're my friends. They're not comedy fans. So they're so excited for me that their energy is yeah. oozing and they're like interfering with the show because they're not accustomed to being at comedy shows. They're just accustomed to cheering for you. So uh, there's a balancing act that I have to do where I deliver the lines almost differently to ensure that they know this isn't a moment yeah. for you now cheer or vice versa. They're, they're also going to get the references faster than anybody else yeah. which you don't necessarily want an album right because you want that to be more universal you, you don't want an album that's only going to sell in your neighborhood right right <laughs> that would be cool though I would say I would <laughs> love to do like, a fully... remember, remember when um, the Virgin Megastore was in like Times Square and the dudes would just stand outside and sell their like hip hop records <laughs> yeah, yeah. on CD you could just awesome. do that on the corner and just like sell your stand up album just East New York only <laughs> fan base sold 10,000 albums for all 9,999 yeah. in here that'd be awesome I'm actually tempted to do that now. Go door and, to door. Yeah. Yeah. Just in this neighborhood, set out right here. <laughs> Put all my flyers up on the A and C train yeah. only. That'd be awesome. But yeah, like it, it uh it definitely gets in the way. Um in that regard, so you have to be aware that you don't do that. There's a beat on the record, and you know, I think he did in the same, for obvious reasons, had similar reaction in Astoria, where you're like, I'm from the East New York, and nobody does anything, and then you go, that's the proper reaction. Right. Which based on that, I'm assuming that the one that made it onto the record was not the home field advantage. Right, exactly. Yeah. Whereas when I did it in uh, the East New York, when I got a loud cheer. Yeah. Um, actually, uh, funny you reference that. I, it's something I try to be aware of, but I don't normally have to deal with. And because of that, I made a mistake on the record and didn't fully explain who Tooth was. For that exact reason. There is, yeah, okay. There, a, is, uh, a lady, is, a lady gets really excited at yeah, that. And I was wondering, I was like, God damn, what did I miss? <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, like, because of her excitement, yeah. I forgot to explain. Her excitement was that she knew who the person was. Exactly. Okay. She genuinely okay. knows too, because he is a legendary character okay. in my neighborhood. Because of that and, you know, assessing the room, how many people knew Tooth. Like, this is your opportunity to make up for that. Who, who is Tooth <laughs> and why is he famous? Tooth is. And why a, is he called Tooth? Tooth is a lifelong friend of mine. Uh, he is. A character uh, who uh, regularly uh, has avoided having a job for uh, extended periods of times mm. in his life. He's 36 years old still. And uh, he is known as Tooth because his whole life he had an extra tooth in his mouth. And we just nicknamed him that. And it stuck. And he embraced it. And he took it as a okay. point of pride. Tooth is a great kid. He's funny. He is someone that's always been in all of our like uh, hangouts 
and he is constant humor to me. And yeah. I, I, owe, I, I uh, still want my hundred eighty dollars, despite that he owes me money to this day. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he goes through extended periods of time where you can't find him, and then when you do, there is an extreme story that took place. Yeah, uh, phenomenal basketball player who's won me a lot of money by uh, pretending that we didn't know each other, uh-huh. showing up at basketball courts yeah. and rigging games. It's been great. You never got your ass beat down for that. No, because okay. we're you know we're also pretty big, yeah, in, uh, <laughs> okay. East New Yorkers. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, uh, we have uh, a lot of fun history. And when I said that and I was going to tell that story, uh, I won't say her name, but the woo came yeah. from his ex, uh, girlfriend who was very excited because she didn't know that I was telling the story. And she knew there was going to be a story. Yes. She yeah. knew because she had heard the tooth story, the joke that I do on the album. Yeah. I told it my first year doing stand-up. And it's one of the first bits I did that mm. worked. So that's why I decided to do it again because yeah. I figured this room would understand this story more than most people because you guys know Tooth. But yes, I did not explain who Tooth was like I did when I normally do the bit because I hadn't done the bit in so long. Um, it was something that I did uh, actually technically after the album was done. I had uh, done both sets and it was kind of like, you know, me coming back out to say yeah. thank you. It, it's something that to your point, uh, you have to be kind of aware of so that you don't like forget the reference for yeah. who someone is. It's a punchline that works you don't need to know him for the punchline to work correct yeah, yeah. i just would have liked to have explained it more if yeah. only because it would give tooth more fame in my neighborhood and i think he would have appreciated being able to have proof that the tooth i'm talking about is him i mean it sounds like he's into having made it into your set and onto the album yeah he is very proud okay. uh he is very happy he introduces himself as that he's like yeah, i'm tooth you ever heard uh immigrant made by gas so that's me yeah. that's from the tooth on that a part of the album yeah him and uh, my cousin alex are also is also very proud of yeah. that because uh, uh alex is in uh the uh, second track uh, when I reference uh, the uh, wheelchair-friendly aspect of mm-hmm. uh, the the Bronx yeah. and all those people coming over. Yeah. They are very proud of being parts of the project. Um, and it's something that, being frank, I wanted to kind of do. I wanted uh, people who weren't from my neighborhood to kind of know that these are real people, they're real characters, and uh, while they're, uh, they might be different from the people you know, they're yeah. still real and they're genuine people and they're good people. Particularly with uh, Alex, his intentions were pure. He had a friend that wanted to come to the show mm-hmm. and he wanted to make sure we could accommodate him, but he happened to uh, be someone that is wheelchair-bound and he wanted to make sure he could help him. So I thought that was beautiful. I just reminded everyone that he might bring a pit bull in the process. <laughs> it worked out. You know, you mentioned earlier that with your parents, specifically your father's idea of success, making money was part of it, but also that, that moving off the block was part of it too. Yeah. Obviously so much of who you are and then just so much of your comedy in general is tied specifically to East New York as a neighborhood. Is that a goal? Do you expect to ever move or are you, do you think you're going to be there for the rest of your life? Are you happy there and don't want to leave? Yeah. And this is, uh, Probably one of the uh, more consistent talks I have with my wife and my dad. My dad is uh, really adamant that I do everything possible to provide the best for my kids. Mm -hmm. Um, And my wife and dad disagree on necessarily what that is. My my dad feels that I should be constantly looking to buy more uh, rental property in East New York because it'll allow me to generate income. I can pay for things that my kids need. My wife feels that, you know, we should move away. You know, she also grew up in East New York. She's been here since she was uh, 10, 11 years old. She immigrated over. She wants to stay in the city. Um, she wants to stay in the city, yeah. but she would uh, she would definitely like to go to a place with a bigger yard, you know, probably like Queens mm-hmm. or even if we just left 
left the city slightly like Long Island. Yeah, yeah. Um, but she wants a more traditional, uh, family white picket fence thing. And it's a talk that we've had a lot more often, uh, since, uh, maybe the last year or so. You mentioned where your dad stands and where she stands. Where do you stand on all this? I see the positives of both and more and more, uh, um, I, I feel that it's important that I stay there. I think that too many times when, uh, someone does better economically, they leave uh, yeah. where they're from and those resources and that person who would change the standard of living of a neighborhood, that's a loss to that neighborhood that we can't replicate, that we can't get back. And those people matter. Those people are important to the development and improvement of a neighborhood. Second, I, I feel like it's a problem if the neighborhood gets better by having new people move in, you know, because now the people that are benefiting from it aren't the locals that were there. So I am actively trying to kind of do something in the middle, meaning um, I am uh, looking to control and, and purchase as much property in East New York as possible, but I'm also looking to rent it to as many East New Yorkers as possible. I want to make sure that the people that are here are a reflection of the people that I grew up with and that they're actively trying to improve it from within and that the neighborhood that I grew up in is a Latin uh, and black neighborhood is also a Latin and black neighborhood as my kids grow up. I assume this is coming from a real place, but you know, there's mention on, on the record of uh, running out to the gay couple and then getting three gay couples in different units in the yeah. in the building. In, in, in a roundabout way, maybe you are sort of playing a little bit of a role in that gentrification, right? And yeah. that's got to be a tough place to be. And that's a debate that my dad and I have literally every apartment. Yeah. Initially, every time somebody tries to rent something, yeah, because yeah. It, it's the dynamic of that. So that's literally the debate. My dad is saying every time someone leaves, I would rent to a white or a gay couple. He's saying that adamantly because yeah. they will they will pay top dollar. Yeah, they're gonna take care of the property. They sort the recyclables, right? <laughs> you know, they're, they're great. So he's like, you know, they're easy tenants. They yeah. pay more. They pay on time. And I agree with that. And I get that. And he's saying, you know, by doing that, you have more money to give your kids. But in turn, the na- they are bringing their kids. Yeah. And now this neighborhood is theirs instead of people that look like my kid. When I, that's kind of the debate. So after we did that, literally we went almost couple, like back and forth on every apartment. So every time I rent something out, I, I look at the balance. You know, how many of our tenants are black and Latino? How many tenants are white? How many tenants are from here? As in not even necessarily East New York, but from New York. You know, all those things I'm constantly debating per property, per rental opportunity. And, you know, right now we're probably like 70, 30 uh, locals. And that's kind of the ratio we've tried to there was a moment where it was like about 50-50. Yeah. I felt uncomfortable because, to your point, I felt like I was a uh, part of the people pushing uh, for uh, the gentrification to happen. I'm not necessarily fully against new people coming here. I feel that uh, that's how neighborhoods develop. East New York in particular has a huge, beautiful, storied history of being a place where new people come here, new yeah. communities come there and establish themselves before moving elsewhere. You know, huge Italian community before they move to like Howard Beach, you know, and uh, similar to what we're doing now. We're leaving ideally to better places. We're developing communities communities and like neighboring states so it's not new york but we are doing it but in turn there is also a part of me that wants to keep a lot of the cultural things i love starbucks i want that but i also want to go get empanadas yeah. you know from the local cart lady i'm not saying i know the exact answer i just i have a gut feeling of what feels right and that's kind of what i'm always trying to do my best to maintain 
And I'm aware that realistically the neighborhood will gentrify because there's an opportunity there. I'm okay with that. What I want to know is that I wasn't the driving force necessarily to that, but that I was uh, someone that made uh, people that are gentrifiers who for the most part have good intentions. I made them aware of the beauty that was here before you got here and helped them to help us maintain some of that as they come in so that when they, when they move into this neighborhood, you don't dismiss or remove what was here before it but try to balance and keep the highlights of that as you also bring in new things that you add to it because there's things that were there before we got there before that you know i i mentioned it on the record yeah. and i've mentioned it in my stand-up stuff where my favorite pizza shop is Vito. it's an italian guy that's been in east new york and he's seen yeah. all of his people leave yeah. you know so he could have took it that way like oh who are these black and spanish kids but he's become a staple in the community and he's seen that those people add value as well and with they've still kept certain Italian things that were beautiful to the neighborhood. So that's all I'm asking is when people come in that are from out of town that aren't a lo- locals that as they bring in the cool things they have uh, and that they want to add to this community that they look for the things that are awesome about ours already yeah. and look to keep that. There you go. That was a very funny Gaster El Monte, whose new record, Immigrant Mate, is out now on 800 Pound Gorilla Records. Thanks to him for taking the time to do that. Thanks to Heidi for helping to set up that conversation. Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a few ways to support us. Most important is rating and reviewing us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Like us on Facebook. If you've got any feedback, it's rwellcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rwellcast.tumblr.com. And that's about all we got for now. So stick around because we're going to be back in a few days with another episode of RIYL.